Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I mean, I think to me it was just it was battling through adversity. I was finding a way to win no matter what it took. Shotgun snap, Mahomes backpedals, pressure coming throws. Hill's got it in midfield. Hill into the open field at the 40. Touchdown! I mean, I think there's a lot of things you can take away from that game that that can help you. Allen throws over the middle. Caught! Touchdown! It's Gabriel Davis. He's got four touchdown catches tonight. That's neither here nor there right now. Just to go try to win a football game. We know it's going to come down to the wire every single time we play them. Mahomes gets the shotgun snap. Pumps, throws for the end zone. Touchdown! Kansas City wins it! 42-36! See the guys respond even when it kind of looked like it was all over. Um, That's something that you'll always have. What a night that was back in January. Boy, Bill's Chiefs needs to be played at night. And I'm not just saying that to advocate for it to be on NBC Sunday night football. It could be Monday night. It could be Thursday night. It could be any night. The good news is when that game ends, it will be dark. It's just a game that cries out to be played under the lights. <laughs> Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Um, yeah. And, and, and look, Peter, we're going to talk about the game in a second. My, my shtick all week has been, the Sunday night game is actually bigger than Bills Chiefs because we don't know about the Eagles. We don't know about the Cowboys. We know the Bills and Chiefs are good. This is the appetizer to their inevitable meeting again in the postseason. But still, it's Bills Chiefs and it's continuation of our new, I think, Brady Manning rivalry between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Look, Mike, I, I'm I'm going to that game on Sunday, and I'm gonna write about it in my column on Monday. And one of the things that I find fascinating about this rivalry is the, is the sort of symmetry of recent years. Do you realize that the Bills and Kansas City have played each other in either week five or six of 2020, 2021, and now 2022? They played each other at Arrowhead Stadium in the divisional round 
of the 2020 season and of the 2021 season. Does anyone doubt that could happen again? And oh, by the way, Buffalo at Kansas City again in 2023. So we'll see if they play it in the middle of October, which has become a habit. But the one thing, and I love how you referenced this is the new Brady Manning. Because if you go back and you look at the great quarterback rivalries, you know, like the, you know, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, maybe Marino Elway. You know, you go back even further, Bradshaw Stabler, all that. And now obviously for 15 years, Brady Manning. I think this one has a chance in the, with so many great quarterbacks in the game right now. This one has a chance to be the premier rivalry for the next 15 years. The exact same way that Brady Manning was. These guys are both young. They both, they haven't even started 70 games yet in the NFL. And they're both lifers. Neither of their teams is going to let them out uh, of that place. There's a fantastic uh, bedrock set up in each franchise, Kansas City and Buffalo. Mike, this is going to be the New England-Indianapolis rivalry for the next decade. The one big difference, though, New England and Indianapolis were in a position to dominate their divisions year in and year out, win the division and set up the playoff tree in a way that put them on a collision course in the AFC Championship. I don't know that it's going to be quite as easy for the Chiefs and the Bills. Maybe it will be. You see all these other teams in the AFC West trying to catch the Chiefs, and there are some other good teams in the AFC East, but I still think they get there more often than not, and once they're there the chances are at least not zero that they find a way to be playing each other. Because I think that's what makes the rivalry. It's not crossing paths in October. It's it's right. squaring off with a potential chance at the Super Bowl on the line and all the stakes that go into a postseason game. And for those of you who didn't like last night with 19 total points, how about this? The two highest scoring teams currently in the NFL, the Chiefs with 159 through five games and the Bills with 152 through five games. Get together. Watch, watch. It'll be 13 to 12. I don't think so, though, Peter. I think both of these offenses are going to find a way to move the ball and score points. You know, Mike, one of the, you just said that, hey, can they dominate their divisions? Look, Kansas City's won the AFC West six years in a row. And Buffalo is on their way, on its way, to uh, dominating the AFC East in a similar way. Now, look, Miami is better. Uh, New England's never going to be awful. Uh, And the Jets, who knows? But I I, I can't see anybody uh, beating out Josh Allen maybe one year. Uh, But the Bills are going to be good for a long time. Kansas City's going to be good for a long time. And just my feeling right now about this rivalry, I mean, I just can't look across the NFL and see, let's see, Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson, maybe. But I don't have the faith in the Cincinnati Bengals to win 12 games every year. I, I just don't. Whereas I have the faith in Buffalo and Kansas City. As long as Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are quarterbacking those two teams, they're going to win double digits every year. 
Well, and it's harder for two teams in the same division to develop a meaningful postseason rivalry because they both have to get in. And it's it's easier for teams in two different divisions to get in than teams that are competing head-to-head twice per year. There may be years where one just doesn't get there. Like last year, the Ravens didn't get there, so we couldn't have had a Lamar Jackson-Joe Burrow battle. Mahomes is an underdog at home for the first time ever in his career. And you know how this movie goes by now publicly Mahomes would say I don't care about that privately they find a way to use that to get themselves just a little more fired up about the challenge to come that people actually think Patrick Mahomes can't hold serve at home against the Bills at home when I know last year the Bills won there in the regular season but when it's a big game Mahomes shows up and this is a way to help him if he needs it, convince himself it's an even bigger deal than it otherwise would be. Mike, I just have a feeling about this game. And that is, you know, last year when uh, when Buffalo left Kansas City in the playoffs, and I'm just looking down because I was trying to think of the numbers. You know, Mahomes throws for 378, completes 33 out of 44, uh, he runs for 70 yards or whatever he did that day. Even though we all know that a coin flip should not determine the game in overtime. But what I do remember about that game so well is thinking that Buffalo's got to do something to neutralize Mahomes. Brandon Bean thought the exact same thing. And I don't know when he first said to himself, I've got to move heaven and earth to get a great pass rusher in here. And to get a good rotation going among my young guys, the Rousseaus, the Bashams, the Epinesses, I have to get a stud in there. And so what he did is he went out and he overpaid Von Miller and justifiably because you don't want to waste two or three years uh, in, in the prime of your franchise quarterback. So I totally think he did the right thing. In, in paying Von Miller, in my opinion, too much for a guy who clearly you don't know how many prime years he has left. And the one thing I would say, Mike, in talking to uh, someone in Buffalo this week, that Von Miller has made a difference in another way. And that is with the young players, especially Ed Oliver, Russo, Boogie Basham. He has made a difference with those guys who view him as a Pied Piper, who view him as a guy who, hey, listen, tell us what to do, show us the way. And I think on Sunday, we're going to see, has this been enough to make sure that Patrick Mahomes doesn't absolutely dominate us again? And what we typically see, Peter, with Patrick Mahomes, when he's healthy, it doesn't matter who you have the purple people eaters or any of the great pass rushes of the past he can run rings around them in a way where everybody else seems like they're in slow motion i mean i've said multiple times the past couple of weeks he's like the harlem globetrotters and every defense chasing him is the washington generals that it's got that flair to it (laughs) where you always know at the end of the day he's going to pull out something magical and everybody else is just kind of looking along with the bucks that we just showed exactly exactly so and and the only time we didn't see that 
was when his toe was so bad, he had surgery three days after the Super Bowl when the Buccaneers were able to eliminate that little extra edge. That's his magic. That's the genius where he has the ability to stay just a half step ahead of everyone who's coming after him and to change directions and move. And as Sim says, he knows where he's going and he knows where everyone else is going. He's got this uncanny ability to map it all out in 3D and know where the creases are and where the seams are. And and this is the great test. Can you put together a pass rush that can get to him even when he's healthy enough to run at full capacity and do all of those things? Or will Von Miller and Greg Rousseau and the others just close in the walls on him before he can do it? That may be the difference in the game. If they can do that once or twice and make a big stop in a big spot, the Bills win the game. If he continues to do what we saw him do against the Bucks, the Chiefs find a way to score enough points to win like we saw them do down 17 points on Monday night. It's just a matter of time. I, I've said before, to continue the basketball analogy, there was a time when I watched basketball when my life wasn't completely consumed by football. You got one of these great teams that goes on an 18-2 to two run. You know what's going to happen. Doesn't Oh, you're up by 10, feeling pretty good, good about yourself, right? They go on an 18-2 to two run, and it's over. And that's what the Chiefs are capable of doing. I don't care what the score is. They can wake up at any given moment and score four touchdowns in four drives. Mike, you know what's interesting right now in looking at the usage of Von Miller? I'll never forget when I went to training camp, I spent some time with Brandon Bean, and he said, look, you know, Von Miller basically is going to be our closer. And so in the vernacular, that means that we're going to use Von Miller sparingly sort of and we are going to make sure that he's able to come in and shut the door in the ninth inning you know be a closer but I think one of the things that that Sean McDermott and his defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier have been kind of experimenting with is trying to figure out that sweet spot okay he has not played more than 43 snaps in any game And he's also played as little as 28 snaps. But really, they, I, I sense that they want him to be somewhere in the 30s so that when you get to January, he's going to be fresh enough to be able to play 55 or 60 snaps in these playoff games. And what has really benefited this team is that the younger guys, particularly Gregory Russo, have really played well and have upped their games so that the Bills don't feel as desperate to play Von Miller more than he's played 56% of the snaps so far this year. They don't feel desperate to play him any more than that because they've gotten a good run out of their good young pass rushers. We've got great games in every window on Sunday, early, late afternoon and evening. And the nightcap, the 4-1 and Cowboys at the 5-0 and Eagles. After last week's win against the Arizona Cardinals, Jalen Hurts said he doesn't like hearing 5-0 and next to the Eagles. He was asked if, despite not liking it, can he appreciate the fact that they have won every game they've played this year? Here's his response. It's very hard to win in this league, you know, and I think that's the balance that I have to obtain um, in knowing how hard it is, but also being eager and hungry um, to want more. I mean, and that's what it is. You know, when you have when you have self self disappointment, 
that's a breed to self-improvement. Um, and just, just striving for more, you know, and that's always what I'm going to do. Um, enough is never enough, and it's always going to be that way. You know, and for me, win, lose, or draw, the process remains the same, um, and it goes on. We've seen Jalen Hurts one other time in primetime this year, Peter. That was week two, part of the Monday night overlapping doubleheader, the game against the Vikings. Hurts was spectacular, but you know what? The Vikings' defense is not spectacular. It's the opposite of spectacular. And Demarcus Lawrence from the Cowboys made a very important comment yesterday. Not so sure I'd feel comfortable about the fact that he's putting that noise out there if I'm a Cowboys fan, but he basically said, we don't know how good Jalen Hurts is because he hasn't played us yet. And that's the great unknown here. Is Hurts going to be able to continue to do what we've seen him do all year long against one of the best two defenses in the NFL? Neither the Cowboys nor the 49ers have allowed a single team to score 20 or more points all year long. The Cowboys, the old doomsday defense, remember that, Peter, the doomsday defense of the 70s? They're yep. back. And, and we'll see if Jalen Hurts can, can get it done against a unit that is that good at every level. Look, you know, we could argue probably, Mike, about what offensive line is the best in football right now. You know, some people might say Cleveland, which has had a very good start to its season. I'd probably say uh, Philadelphia, just edging uh, Kansas City and Cleveland. And what's made Philadelphia's offensive line so impressive is that they've had injuries. And now left tackle Jordan Mailata is, you know, dealing with a shoulder injury. And, you know, the two tackles in this game, because of the incredible speed around the edge, the LT-like speed of Micah Parsons, are going to have to be totally on their games Sunday at the link. But the one other thing I think I would say is, look, there's one thing about Jalen Hurts that in the past, in the last few weeks when Dallas has gone up against quarterbacks, and let's just use last week as an example. You know, Matthew Stafford is not able to get away from Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons. And I'm not saying that Jalen Hurts is going to be able to get away from every rush of those guys. But Jalen Hurts, he's averaging 14 rushes a game. And of course, some of those are not designed runs. Some of them happen when you're flushed out of the pocket and you have to scramble. And he's done a great job doing that. So when I look at it, honestly, you know, I, I see, I understand the way DeMarcus learns. Hey, he hasn't played us yet. Their secondary has been excellent too. So this is a great test for Jalen Hurts. But, I, I, you know, the Cowboys haven't played Jalen Hurts yet either. And I just think, I, I really have a lot of admiration for Jalen Hurts, how he's played, the way he's led his team, and Mike, his just overall ethos, okay? He doesn't have to, you know, be the star. He doesn't even want to be the star. I'll tell you a very quick story. Two weeks ago when I covered their game against Jacksonville, after the game, I spent about 10 minutes with him, and we were talking, and I said, how much have you learned from your dad? And, you know, because his father... In high school, Channelville High School, or Channel View High School, rather, in Texas, his dad was his, was his coach. So twice in his answer, he called him Coach Hurts. And I just, 
there's something about that. It's very Texas in so many ways, but it's also almost, uh, it just leads me to think that this is a guy who can be coached, wants to be coached. You talk to Nick Sirianni, he's the most eminently coachable quarterback he's had. So look, this is going to be a really good game, but no matter what happens in this game, Jalen Hurts is the long-term quarterback for this team, and they're in very good hands. Sounds like Coach Hurts may have something in common with Bob Cobb. Remember Bob Cobb? Yeah, the maestro. <laughs> Call me maestro. Yeah. Insisted on yeah. being called maestro. All right, let's take a break. Yeah. Uh, we will fast forward through some of the other games to be played on the sixth Sunday of the 2022 NFL regular season when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting that way. We've, uh, you, you recognize what's on the tape, and he's got new wrinkles, of course, and uh, they do a great job. He's a great coach. I've known Don, and we've been friends since we were, we were kids, basically, almost, you know, kids and coaching, and, um, you know, proud of him as what he did here, obviously, and uh, he's doing a great job up there. I mean, they're playing great defense, so nothing but respect and love. Knowing Wink, like you just said, how, I guess, differently do you expect him to approach this Sunday against you guys and you? It's a great question. We were just having that conversation out there. It's like, he knows that we know that we know that he knows that he knows that we know, right? So it's something like that. John, how difficult was the meeting with Wink when you had to tell him it was over? Yeah, you know, it was it wasn't like that. It was uh, we had great conversations throughout. We were talking all the time. We're we're close, you know, so it wasn't like a specific meeting. It was just kind of a, an opportunity to talk about where we were both going and, you know, what was best. And, and that's it. I think we both came to that decision together, I would say. That's how I'd like to look at it. You know, I feel that way about it. And I think it's turning out great for him. And, you know, just nothing but uh, admiration for what he's doing. Turning out great for him. Our defense stinks, however. That's the part John Harbaugh <laughs> didn't say. <laughs> right. <laughs> But that adds some spice. You look at Ravens, Giants, and you think, man, the Giants are pretty good, but there's nothing that really jumps off the page until you scratch the surface and realize. Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for several years in Baltimore, knows that offense very well. You get Greg Roman versus Martindale. Roman, the offensive coordinator. Martindale, the defensive coordinator. They know each other's wrinkles, and they're going to be using that. They're going to be guessing what they think the other guy is going to do when the Ravens offense is on the field. I think that makes uh, that game one of the most compelling of the day. Beyond the two that we've talked about, to me, that's the one that stands out the most. You know, a couple of things, Mike. Number one, uh, when John Harbaugh decided to replace Wink Martindale with Mike McDonald, however the mechanics of that worked out, uh, but when he decided to replace Wink Martindale... I think one of the things that at least someone uh, who knows the Ravens very well told me is that they thought that McDonald was more of a guy who 
would use practice to help his team learn the defense. Wink Martindale used practice to try to beat the offense. Uh, and, you know, not necessarily to get his guys ready to play that opponent that week. That might be fair, might be unfair. But you can tell they do miss Wink Martindale. The most glaring statistical evidence of that is that last year, Wink Martindale's defense allowed 3.8 yards per rush. This year, the Ravens are allowing 5.0 yards per rush. And even though Saquon Barkley is, is banged up entering this game, you've got to figure that if the Giants win this game, it's going to be a Saquon Barkley production against a poor run defense. And that point you made is so fascinating because I kind of like the idea of having a defense that is so determined to win every time it steps onto the field, game or practice, that that manifests itself in the game. Yeah, maybe you not may not be as buttoned up and ready to face that offense, but you've got a fire that never goes out if you're focused on beating your own offense more than you're focused about preparing for the next opponent. We're ready for anyone. We'll go out here anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and kick your ass if we can. I kind of like that attitude in a defense. I mean, I guess so. I think, you know, the macho thing, you know, worked for a while. At least, look, and I'm. this is me basically looking at this situation from afar. We're not inside the team. We don't know deep down why John Harbaugh made this decision. But my belief in the word you hear about Mike McDonald, you know, the defensive coordinator now, is teacher. And so, I mean, we'll see. Long term, the results are the results, Mike. We'll see which works better for now. It really does look like they miss Martindale. Well, and sometimes it's as basic as two alphas can only coexist for so long in the same building. And yeah, maybe that had yeah. something to do with it as well. Vikings at the Dolphins. Four and one Minnesota somehow. Dolphins started three and oh, they've lost two in a row. They'll be starting Skylar Thompson at quarterback because Tua Tonga-Vailoa is still recovering from his concussion from 15 days ago that he suffered on Thursday night football against the Bengals. Teddy Bridgewater, though he's back at practice, he's likely not going to be cleared by Sunday. Can the Vikings take advantage of this? When you consider, and it's been three straight games now, Peter, no road game for the Vikings, no true road game. They had to go to London, but they weren't playing in a hostile environment in another team's building like yeah. if they would have been in the Superdome against the Saints. This is the first time since the Eagles game where they're in hostile territory. They barely beat the Lions, barely beat the Saints, barely beat the Bears. I'm not sold on the Vikings yet, and I don't care that it's Skylar Thompson at quarterback. Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Dolphins, can put together a running attack that can take advantage of a bad Vikings defense. I don't know if the Vikings offense has enough sustained consistency to win. I feel like they're getting down to these coin flips at the end of every game, and they've had it come up their way three straight games. I just feel like their luck's going to run out. I don't care who the quarterback is. They can bring back Bob Greasy, and I don't care. I think the Vikings are going to have a hard time extending this streak to four in a row. You know, Mike, I think that good coaches, Frank, Frank Reich told me this um, a couple of years ago. He, he said that I can get a guy and a good offensive coach can get a quarterback ready, almost any quarterback, get ready to play well and to win one game. 
Now, what he was referring to is that, you know, at the time uh, that I spoke to him, they weren't sure. And this is, in fact, it wasn't a couple of years ago. It was last year where they might have had to play uh, Sam Ellinger uh, in one of their games. You know, the young kid from Texas. Um, and, you know, he thought that, you know, I can get him ready to win a game. Now, long term, they're going to see your warts. But short term, you ought to be able to get a guy ready to win a game. And I think Mike McDaniel has to have the confidence in himself, in his own coaching ability, and in his staff to figure a way against an okay but not great defense to be able to find a way for Skylar Thompson to make enough plays to win that game. And I bet a thousand bucks that in their meetings this week, that that is what they were totally focused on. They didn't have any time prep time before they played the Jets to say, hey, what does Skylar Thompson do well? Let's put that in the game plan. They, they didn't think Skylar Thompson was going to play last week. So this week, knowing that you've got to get him ready and knowing that all week in practice, you have been focusing with Thompson on the plays he can make uh, I, I think I think Miami's got a heck of a shot at this game. And Thompson created a ton of buzz during the preseason. And yes, it wasn't against the starters, but he really stood out and he got people thinking, hey, if this doesn't work out with Tua, maybe the Dolphins don't have to get desperate and go after some other veteran. Maybe they're developing a guy internally who could take over. So we'll see what Skylar Thompson does against the Vikings on Sunday. Lambeau Field. The Packers go back after losing in London, and in come the Jets. I said this yesterday, Peter. If I'd have told you five weeks ago that the Jets and the Packers would have identical records after five games, you wouldn't believe me because there's no way the Packers aren't going to be that good. There's no way the Jets are going to be that good. But here they are at the intersection of good and bad at three and two each. And the Jets are dangerous because, as Aaron Rodgers said after the loss to the Giants, they are in too many close games. The margins are too thin and they can lose every game. They're used to being dominant. The dominance isn't there and it opens the door for the Jets to steal yet another one on the road. They won at Cleveland down 13 with two minutes left. They won in Pittsburgh down 10 minutes in the fourth quarter. Tell you what, if the Packers have a lead late, they better be on guard because the Jets know how to come take it from you. You know, the couple of things that you like about the Jets right now is I loved hearing the attitude in the last couple of weeks out of Zach Wilson. You know, he is, it's almost like it's no more Mr. Nice Guy with Zach Wilson. You know, he's thought of this, you know, fresh face kid who looks like he's 16 years old and, and always smiling and, and all this. And now he says, okay, look, I know what everybody's saying about me. I know what everybody's saying about us. Well, you know, blank you, we are going to go out and play well. And even though his kind of semi-idol throughout high school and college was Aaron Rodgers, I don't think he's going to be intimidated going to Lambeau Field because we've seen a different kind of attitude with Zach Wilson. Plus, the other thing is, Mike, now you look at the New York Jets, and, and, and I'm not saying that either one of these or none of these three guys are, are, are going to be Pro Bowl guys or anything like that this year. But when you look at the triumvirate of Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, you have 
a representative to very good receiving core right now. And so this isn't only going to be, you know, can Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, finally start to get on the same page with some of his receivers, you know, his young receivers. I think this is, can Green Bay bother Zach Wilson enough in the pocket and play these really good receivers well enough so that Zach Wilson doesn't hit a couple of bombs against him? It is another one that stands out as a potentially great game in week six, and there are many of them. There's a Monday night game, though, between the Broncos and the Chargers that is going to be intriguing for other reasons. Russell Wilson, the target of plenty of criticism. How does he deal with it? We'll let you hear what he had to say about that yesterday when this Friday edition of PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. Do you think Russ was laboring a little bit with the shoulder the last game? And do you, does he look better now in practice this week? He definitely looks good. We'll see more today. Uh, Russ has played in the league for a long time, and all players you know, have different things that they have to deal with. And you know, he doesn't complain. He, he keeps his head down. He works hard. He does everything he can to make his body feel as good as he possibly can throughout the season. Uh, and I think that you're always dealing with that stuff across the board. And uh, but I do think that he's doing an amazing job getting himself to 100. percent I haven't had this particular you know thing before, but you know I'll be okay. I'll be ready. Broncos country, let's ride. Let's ride indeed. Let's fly. That's what Russell Wilson did last Friday to L.A. to get a platement. I always get that wrong. The more I try to focus on articulating the three words properly, the more destined I am. Platelet-rich plasma injection. I dare you to say that five times fast. And, oh, coincidentally, it was leaked to multiple reporters that Russell Wilson flew to L.A. for that PRP. I'm just going to stick with that from now on. Look, there's a lot going on here, and we know that there's a lot of form over substance when it comes to the the image that is presented to the world about Russell Wilson. And it was open season on Russell Wilson last Friday. People who have believed for years that he's not always the most authentic person were piling on because he isn't very good now. The bottom line is something's off. And whether we're supposed to think the shoulder is the problem or it's something else, I'm sure some would like us to think it's because he's injured but he was throwing the ball pretty well. I don't think it's an injury thing. I just think he's not comfortable in that offense. And it's on Nathaniel Hackett, the coach of the team, to make it a comfortable situation for him. Just like you were saying about Skylar Thompson and the Dolphins. Get your quarterback ready. Figure out what he does well. Sean Payton said a week or so ago to Colin Coward, look at all the plays of the things that went well for him in Seattle and incorporate them into your offense. Make your offense fit the skills and abilities of your player. Don't expect him to fit your scheme that you feel so protective about and you feel compelled to use. The best outcome is use your quarterback in the way that he's the most comfortable, and that's what I'm waiting for the Broncos to do, Peter. You know, Mike, I, I thought of this yesterday when, you know what happens in, in our business. So Russell Wilson plays mostly lousy for, for five games. And then there's 11 days between games. So there's a lot of time. So there's time enough in that 11-day window for a lot of people in our business to say, oh, people have gone way over the top. 
you know, and they're saying Russell Wilson's done. Look, I'm certainly not saying Russell Wilson is done because I don't believe he's done. I believe he's going to be a good quarterback again in the NFL, and I think for multiple years. However, you can't escape this fact. In the four years prior to this year, he finished in the top seven in the NFL in passer rating each year. He, Despite his troubles last year, he was the fourth highest rated passer in the National Football League when the Broncos decided to move heaven and earth to try to get him, and Seattle was more than willing to do that. But he's 22nd right now. There are problems. You know, don't diminish the problems by saying, oh boy, people have overreacted. Maybe people have overreacted. But have you watched the games? I mean, if you've watched the games, if you watch him, you know, with a wide open K.J. Hamler that could have won the game against Denver, going up an incredible, you know, and I put it in my column this week, an incredible still of uh, still photograph, you know, or screen grab from that route where K.J. Hamler is running like right at the goal line and there's nobody else in the picture. Why in the world do you, as a veteran quarterback, not see that? Those are the kind of things that it's important that that Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson concentrate on going into this Monday night game. It has been open season for many Russell Wilson critics who have been lying in the weeds waiting for him to falter. Here's Wilson from yesterday on whether he's motivated by that criticism. Yeah, I'm motivated not by criticism. I, I, you know, I, th- I don't think you get motivated by that. For me, um, I'm always motivated. And I'm always, you know, uh, at this point in my career, I don't necessarily have to be motivated. I'm always there. You know, I think you always want to be great. You always want to, you know, be, be uh, exceptional every time you step on the field and understanding that sometimes that doesn't always happen. Um, but at the same time, you knowing that you're working for that. And I think that, um, <clears throat> you know, for me, you know, I can handle, I can handle it. You know, I'm built for. It. I'm built for the I'm built for the good times and the tough times, and um, we're gonna come on the other end of it. And what, really, how you get out of it, and how you how as a team, how we continue to keep building and where we're going, what we're doing is focus on today. Nothing else matters. Today has got to be the best day we've had so far, and that would be no matter what our record is. We're five and zero, which we could have had a chance to be that potentially. Um, you know, and and the reality is is that we are where we are right now, and that's that's here on a Thursday slash Wednesday, and uh, we got to make it special. You know, the smile and the happy-go-lucky attitude only goes so far. There are occasions where you need to be a little pissed off. You need to be an ass sometimes. And can you imagine Tom Brady admitting or trying to claim to anyone that he's not motivated by criticism? Of course he is. You use that. You make that part of your tool bag as a way to get the maximum performance. Because whatever Russell Wilson has done for the last 10 years, and it has been always positive, always smiling, always saying the right things, never getting upset, never showing any of it publicly. It's not working now. So the old formula doesn't work, and I think that's what's so jarring about it, Peter. The performance is a far cry from what it was, but he seems completely unaffected by it, and he seems to think it's just a matter of finding that switch and flipping it, and everything is going to be like it always was. And that's the big disconnect I see in his mindset and what the rest of us are witnessing. The one thing that Russell Wilson has to do, Mike, in my opinion, is that 
you know, compared to the parts of his career when he was at his best, when he was averaging about six runs a game, Russell Wilson, except for three kneel downs uh, against the 49ers when they won that spirited offensive fest 11 to 10, except for those three kneel downs, he has run the ball 14 times in five games. Now, are any of those really, maybe two of those in the San Francisco game were design runs, but are any of those design runs? Usually if you're averaging two runs, a, or three runs, two or three runs a game, you know what those are? Those are your being flushed from the pocket and you've got to scramble because you, 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 there's nobody open. <laughs> I mean, Nathaniel Hackett has got to, whether Russell Wilson has said to him, uh, you know, I don't want to be a running quarterback anymore. You know, I'm 33 years old. Uh, you know, I want to play more from the pocket and all that. Okay, fine. But can we put out the four alarm fire in our house first? Can we just figure out a way to win this game, even if it means you run 12 times? We don't care. You know, the good running back is gone. You know, Javante Williams. Uh, the fumbling running back is there who should be replaced. Uh, and and this is a game. This is a game this week where Russell Wilson, there should be design runs in the game plan. He should run eight to 10 times in this game. They have got to find a spark for this offense and running Russell Wilson would be a very, very richly uh, needed spark. That one brilliant moment this year when they got up off the mat against the 49ers on Sunday night, it was old school Russell Wilson moving around, yes, using it his was. legs, buying time, gaining yards when needed. And I, I'm with you. I don't know what the issue is. I don't think he trusts his legs like he used to because he's not capable of the same separation he once had. So he's being more careful about it because he, he doubts that he's as fast as he used to be relative to the other guys. But whatever the, the explanation, it needs to be incorporated because he still has enough that it can make a difference. All right, let's take a break. Some news about Deshaun Watson, unrelated to the fact that he's back in the building this week with the Browns. We'll tell you what's going on with him when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. One of the NFL's concerns has come to fruition as it relates to Deshaun Watson. The NFL didn't know what else may come of the various lawsuits and claims made against him. Another lawsuit was filed in Texas yesterday. Multiple reports to that effect. Similar allegations to everything else that we have seen in the past lawsuits. There's only one other pending case. All of the others have been settled. Maybe there was one that was dismissed along the way. But now there are two. And this lands as Watson is back in the building. He's on track to return from his suspension week 13 when the Browns visit the Texans. He's got to check a lot of boxes and comply with the league's expectations. And I think everybody knew until the statutes of limitations expire on these potential claims, there could be more. And this is one. And the other significant thing about this one, Peter, it wasn't filed by attorney Tony Busby. There's a different lawyer for the first time for one of these cases involved. So I don't know how many others are out there. The league may not know how many others are out there. But up until March of 2023, that's when the two-year window will have closed on anything that would have happened before we became aware of all this. 
everybody involved needs to worry that there could be more. You know, when the Cleveland Browns traded for Deshaun Watson, one of the things that was concerning, it certainly was was raised by me and by others, is that how many other people are behind door number three? And this obviously is one of them. Did the Browns know about this one? Maybe. I doubt it. But these, you know, especially after Jenny Varentis reported that Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, according to uh, Varentis' reporting, uh, had seen more than 60 uh, massage therapists uh, or, or had reached out to more than 60 massage therapists. H- how do we know that the fact that one third of that number ends up in, in, a, in a suit against him, how do we know that that's it? That's the biggest issue that I see, Mike, that in the middle of this, uh, in the middle of, of his return to football, could more people surface and could some of these lawsuits actually have legs and actually have potential venom in them for Deshaun Watson? I've asked the league whether any of these additional lawsuits, if there are more than just this one, would subject Watson to any further punishment under the personal conduct policy. We'll update if we get a response at profootballtalk.com. And also there's some subjectivity and discretion that goes into finding whether or not he's ready to return week 13. If there is a flood of lawsuits between now and then, could that be a factor? Time will tell. Time will tell whether or not the NFL finds the right balance for roughing the passer It's been a strange week. Now, last night, I saw Justin Fields get banged around a lot, and I didn't see a single flag. So I don't know where the line is. I don't think anybody knows where the line is. I think when you have 17 different referees, because they have 16 crews plus an extra one because they all get a bye, you've got 17 different individuals who may view the rule differently. Peter, the news yesterday from Kalen Kaler now with The Athletic, the NFL defended roughing the passer application in a video sent to all 32 teams, specifically defending the Chris Jones call that was so controversial, but also ignoring the Grady Jarrett call that was so controversial. I don't know what the league is looking for, and if I'm a coach or a player, I'm still confused where the line is. What's going to get me flagged for roughing the passer? Well, obviously, Mike, I think that what we saw was the NFL basically uh, saying to all the teams and basically saying that this call in the uh, Kansas City game was defensible and it doesn't matter what uh, happened against Derek Carr, okay? This was what the NFL wants to see. It had a body weight element to it and Chris Jones falling on top of the quarterback okay that means that when you fall on a quarterback with the body weight it is a justifiable flag I'm not saying I thought that was a good flag I'm saying that in the NFL's eyes it was a justifiable flag here's the problem what happened to the other call the NFL is silent on the other call, the Grady Jarrett call. And that is the one that cries out to be commented on. But the NFL said nothing about that call. 
And it's all well and good for Walt Anderson or whoever in the league office says, we need to put this out. So we need to tell everybody, we need to tell all 32 teams and our network partners that the Chris Jones uh, roughing the passer was roughing the passer. But by saying that, you have basically made a worse call seem obviously a giant mistake, okay, by not acknowledging that whatsoever. That's right, because if it could be defended, it would be defended. Now, I don't buy the defense of the Grady Jarrett call because in that video, Perry Fuel reportedly says that Jones fell on Carr with his full body weight, and we saw the video. We've seen it multiple times this week. The left hand braces the full body weight from landing on Derek Carr. But the Grady Jarrett call far more likely to have determined the outcome of the game, given when it happened and the impact of it extended a drive. The Falcons would have gotten the ball back. Who knows what they do down six points. If they get one more opportunity, the chiefs still won the game despite that bad call. Peter, I think this is the bottom line here. You and I were talking about this last night. There's language in the rule book that says this when in doubt about a roughness call or potentially dangerous tactic against the quarterback, the referee should always call roughing the passer now that's baking in an acceptance of error and accepting a lack of clarity hey we know the referee's got a lot going on back there things are moving fast if you have doubt that it was roughing go ahead and throw the flag so that's maybe the way perry fuel should have explained it we tell these guys when in doubt throw the flag so carl sheffers had doubt as to whether or not Chris Jones fell on Derek Carr with his full body weight. You look at the video review, he didn't. But when you're standing behind it, you don't see his left arm, if you're Carl Sheffers. When in doubt, throw the flag. And that's what he did. I don't think they want to explain it that way, because I don't think they want the fans to realize they're just kind of accepting a hazy, foggy, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, because that makes it even harder to push back against the idea that they should use replay review for this. If you're going to accept the possibility of the referee getting it wrong, why aren't you using video to get it right? Yeah, I think they learned their lesson on uh, replay when they had the one-year experiment. It's their own fault. They screwed up the execution. Yeah. It was a good idea, and it was horribly yeah. executed by Al Riveron, probably yeah. one of the reasons why he's not there anymore. But whatever Frankly. the reason, Mike, there is there's just no very, very little sentiment to make uh, roughing the passer or make subjective calls, uh, you know, reviewable. I, w- I will only make one point about this, and this is a great topic for a week when there's not as much going on. But Bill Belichick has always had this point about replay. Let's just make every call reviewable. Because then you're not going to have more challenges. You're going to have the same number of challenges. Let's just make every call reviewable. And then the game won't be extended very much more. If you decide to use your challenge on a roughing the passer call in the second quarter, and you know, you've now used one of your ways to check a call, be that as it may, I don't sense any momentum from people around the league, at least people who I talk to, that they want to have this uh, replay reviewable. 
uh, roughing the passer. Right, because they, they screwed up the pass interference replay review, and they're afraid to try it again because they just assume they'll screw it up again. I have to give them points for self-awareness. And my point continues to be full embrace of a sky judge, booth umpire, member of the officiating crew who could talk to Carl Cheffers, for example, and say, what did you see there, Carl? Oh, he fell on him with his full body weight. Well, the angle I see got his left hand out there, so are we sure we want to throw this flag? At least have that conversation in real time before the play becomes a final penalty against Chris Jones. And, hey, you know what? One of the reasons we don't have time to talk about it more, and the NFL likes this, Bright, shiny objects always rolling off the assembly line. When we return, show me something draft for week six. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Posted this the other night, photo of the bar area down at the barn, and somebody saw that bust of Winston Churchill with a cigar in his mouth and said, I thought that head was Peter King. Peter has hair. Winston Churchill does not have hair, but there's Peter. <laughs> now that's Peter. If it's Peter as the bust of Winston Churchill, right? <laughs> the humidor that is full of about. It's there. It is. <laughs> that looks like something from the Haunted Mansion. That looks like something from the Haunted Mansion at Disney, doesn't it? He looks like Curly from the Three Stooges. He does. He does. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Show me something other than that. Show me something for week seven or six. I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't know whether or not Daniel Jones has earned an exemption based on the way he's played. We shall see. Peter, what do you have? You know, Mike, I'm going to go a little weird with this one. Show me something, Mike McDonald, the Baltimore defensive coordinator who replaced Wink Martindale, goes to the Meadowlands this weekend and faces off in a weird way, against Wink Martindale. He faces off against the ghost of Christmas past. And the Baltimore defense hasn't been good. But most notably, they're playing the guy who in the first five weeks of the season has been the best running back in football, Saquon Barkley. So far, Baltimore is allowing 5.0 yards per rush. This is a recipe for disaster when you're going to play a team that has Saquon Barkley, who's been running kind of wild in the first five weeks. Show me something, Mike McDonald. Show me that you can stop a good running back. I'll continue that trend, at least as it relates to first names. Show me something, Mike Tomlin. And here's how it goes in Pittsburgh. Eventually and inevitably during a losing streak, the fans' complaints will pivot to head coach Mike Tomlin. And it's gone from Mitch Trubisky, it's gone to Matt Canada, and now it's focused on Mike Tomlin. And look, you got Tom Brady coming back to town, probably the last time he ever plays at the field formerly known as Hines. And this requires a total team effort. And this is Tomlin taking the pieces he has, some of the parts greater than the individual pieces, making something happen, getting a win, anything it takes to avoid falling to one and five. This is not the Steelers football that I'm used to seeing over the last 50 years. Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. 38-3, to the worst loss for the franchise since 51 nothing week one of the 1989 season. They cannot afford to get blown out again. Even if it's a close loss, it'll be far better than what we saw this past weekend and at least some sign that maybe there's hope for the Steelers this year, Peter. Show me something, Kirk Cousins. You know, Cousins has had a nice start to his year. You know, Minnesota's 4-1, and one, uh, but they play a sneaky, tough foe this week in the Miami Dolphins at Miami. 
And the reason why I think it's a sneaky, sneaky tough foe is that Miami's going to put some points on the board this weekend. And right now, Kirk Cousins, seven touchdowns, five interceptions. As I say, he's been okay. He's had a nice start to his year. But the Vikings are averaging 23 points a game, Mike. That, to me, is trouble for this weekend. This has got to become the explosive offense when they hired Kevin O'Connell. They voiced great faith in Kirk Cousins. Three-headed receiving monster now added to made a three-headed receiving monster because of KJ Osborne. This offense should be better. And they sh- they're going to need to be better Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. So show me something, Kirk Cousins. Show me something, 2016 NFL MVP Matt Ryan, now with the Colts. They are somehow 2-2-1. Two, two and one. They somehow beat the Chiefs. They somehow beat the Broncos. Here come the Jaguars who shut out the Colts back in week two. The Colts need to get this to get to the right side of 500. They come out of this week three, two, and one. People are going to start paying attention to what the Colts could possibly do. We'll take a break. Round three of Show Me Something when PFT Live continues right after this. Show me something. That's what we have so far. Round three is upon us. Peter King is up. Mike, show me something, Russell Wilson. At the risk of being in the uh, Department of Redundancy department, um, I think it's important just to say that, you know, Russell Wilson is Mr. Sunshine, Mr. Positive, and that's a great attitude to have when, you know, you're getting tomatoes thrown at you from all angles. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is, this is very, very weird so far this year. He doesn't run the ball anymore. And he's the 22nd rated quarterback in football after entering the year as a top five all-time rated quarterback. And, you know, at some point, now you've had uh, 11 days between games. You've, You've had the ability to go into a dark room with Nathaniel Hackett and figure out what can we actually do well. So show me something, Russell Wilson. Show me that a week and a half is time to get your game back on target. We're up against it, though. I'll say this on the way out the door. Show me something, Joe Burrow. Back in New Orleans with B-U-R-R-E-A-U-X on the jersey. The Bengals need this one to get to 500. Burrow needs to step up and have a big game. They've lost all three games in walk-off fashion The Bengals need to reestablish themselves, and they're going to pile up too many losses, Peter, to be in the mix for the postseason in 2022. And with that, we say enjoy the weekend of football. Peter, great stuff as always. We'll see you Monday morning, bright and early for PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.